Welcome to today's edition of the Bible Class. Our teacher, Dr. Kenneth C. Hill, is teaching from the New Testament book of 1 John. You may send your questions by email through our website at whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Or you may mail those questions to the Bible Class, care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bluntville, Tennessee, 37617. And now, here's Dr. Hill with today's lesson. Welcome to the Bible class. We're continuing our study in 1 John, and we're in chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And let us read those verses once again. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. And we had been talking about these verses as a portion of direction when we are exclaiming with John how great this love is that Christ Jesus hath given us through Jesus Christ. Oftentimes, life becomes difficult even for the most devoted believer. Sorrow and heartbreak becomes almost unbearable. But it will not always be that way, for the best is yet to come. 1 Corinthians 13.12 says, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. Some of us are surrounded by perplexing trials. These trials perplex us. They confuse us. They disturb us. It is as though we're looking into a cloudy mirror, one that doesn't quite show us the full effect. We cannot see the clear image. We're confused, even wondering why. But we need to be resting assured in Christ that the time is coming when we shall see clearly everything will become meaningful. All our questions will be answered when we see Jesus. Is there anything more wonderful that you can think of, that you can put in your mind, than seeing Jesus face to face? I know for my entire life, since I was a babe in arms, and when I could hum the tune and then start singing, I've been singing songs about Jesus, and I bet you have too. As soon as you came to faith in Christ, I know you began singing songs about Jesus. We've sung those songs, we've talked about him, we've studied about him, we've communicated with him, but the great and grand climax will be when we see him face to face. Every believer will be granted this privilege when Christ returns for his own, for his bride. A glorious change will take place in us, and then we shall see him. We shall be like him, in that our sinful flesh will be changed completely, so that we shall no longer desire sin. Temptation will no longer bother us, will never affect us again. 
will be glorified just as our Lord Jesus is glorified. All our tears will be gone. Never again will we experience sorrow from the burdens of life. The Christian has a marvelous future. And we know that new life begins at the cross. It's empowered by Christ's presence. But when we are caught up to meet him in the air, what a day that will be. For from that time on, we shall ever be with the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4.17 Now, in this portion of 1 John, we see that the return of Christ for his people is not only a truth that consoles us and gives us encouragement, uh, we also have this hope, you know, and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Verse 3. Hope expresses the idea of confidence, the idea of assurance. When Christ appears and we're glorified, we shall be sinless. But during this time that we have on this earth, the here and now, we need to heed the truth of Scripture and permit Christ to control us and live through us. The things that appeal to the worldly wise should not be a part of our program. When we see him, we shall be transformed into his perfect likeness, but the purifying process ought to be evident every day as we live for Christ day by day in this veil of tears, so to speak. Throughout scriptures, the return of Christ is presented as a motive for consistent Christian living. 2 Peter 1.19 talks about that sure word of prophecy, even a more sure word, says it this way, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. In some translations, we're told uh, that uh, J. Allen Blair in his commentary says that dark is rendered as squalid or murky, meaning dirty. But this verse is not referring to the darkness that results from the removal or the obscuring of light, but the darkness that is caused by the foul dust or fog of the earth. It's the same idea that is expressed in Revelation 9.2, and the sun and the air were darkened by reasons of the smoke of the pit. There's a darkness in the world which is a result of sin. This darkness encompasses all of us. It appears to be getting darker by each passing generation. Those of us who are in Christ are to shine as lights in the midst of darkness. And if we in any way participate in the darkness of the world, our light will be clouded and our witness will be totally ineffective. It is essential for us as believers in Christ to break with all known sin. It is essential for you and me to let our light shine brightly for God, as Second Peter 1.19 says, until the day dawn and the day star arise in our hearts. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew 5.16, Let your light show, so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We are to be those light bearers for God. We are to have the light within us, showing outwardly. But if our lives are marred by sin, we will obscure the light and have little effect, if any, upon the darkness. 
For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, our Savior, Jesus Christ, Titus 2, 11-13. If we take a look at these verses, we can see the return of Christ is the blessed hope. As wonderful as this marvelous event will be, it is more than that. It's the transforming hope as well as the blessed hope. It is a transforming hope that motivates us to follow God and to do His will. There may be a difference of opinion among God's people concerning some of the details in connection with Christ's return, and that's understandable, but there should be perfect unanimity about the unquestionable fact of his return. We should all agree on the fact of his coming again. Long ago, the angels made a declaration. They declared when Jesus Christ ascended into glory, they, they declared that he would come again. Here it is in Acts chapter 1, verse 11. This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. So, since the return of Christ is a conclusive fact in Scripture, then we who are in Christ, followers of Christ, must not only believe it, but live each day in preparation for the return of the King of Kings. It's not something that may happen. It's something that will happen according to God's Word. So then the question that you would ask after these three verses is, are you looking for Christ's return? And if you are, then you must have purity of life. The purity of Christ must be seen in you. You must allow the Lord to have full possession, complete control. You must humbly submit your will to His. You can't do it on your own strength because you do things alone, you do things poorly. They don't get done. Christ said, without me, you can do nothing in John fifteen five. So you need to submit to the Lord and enjoy his blessing as we attempt to purify ourselves under the power of Jesus Christ. Beginning at verse 4, we read, Whoever, whosoever, I should say, whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not, whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother." 
And that's reading down through verse 10 of 1 John chapter 3 and beginning at verse 4. As we have looked at those first three verses and we continue to look at these verses, we see that since Christ died to take away sins, a genuine believer will sin less after his conversion than he did before. In fact, it will be in his heart not to sin. His life will not be marked by habitual sin. The verbs sinneth not, sinneth, and committeth sin are all in the Greek present tense. These refer to a constant practice of sin rather than an isolated failure of sin. And so we do not habitually sin. The children of God, the children of the devil, can be contrasted through their lifestyles. The former, the children of God, is marked by habitual righteousness, whereas the children of the devil is known by their constant sinning. You catch the idea? If we are of Christ, we're not to sin. You, you haven't figured that out yet? That's what, that's what John's been saying here time and time and time again. He says, you who are in Christ are not to be sinning. It's a very simple concept. It's not an easy one. It's a difficult one, but it's a simple concept. If you're in Christ, you're to live like you are in Christ. And so, as we look at this portion of Scripture down through verse 10, we know that the righteous life is righteous only because it's the life that is in Christ Jesus. The righteous man did not become righteous by doing righteously. He became righteous by coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And that is what we need to understand. And so we can't look to ourselves for any righteousness. We can't look to ourselves uh, for uh, being controlled by the nature of God, we have to look to God for him to control us. We can't have ourselves controlled by ourselves and see us uh, actually doing as the believer should do. Now, we know we're to love one another. There's no question that that is true. And, of course, John continues to give us those ideas and those concerns. Uh, if you've known anything about true love, it's come from God. And God has always manifested his true love. Uh, it is not uh, from us that true love comes, but from God himself. And we read this in 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that ye should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him, because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. Ye know that you have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life 
abiding in him. We know that it is God that works in his own way in you and in me, both to will and to do of his good pleasure, Philippians 2.13. The happy life, the life of victory and blessing, comes from following Christ. And so then, this message of love, which is in verses 11 through 15, comes to us in a fashion that you would expect from the apostle of love, from John. And this message is as old as the truth that God is love, 1 John 4, 16. John uses the expression nine times in 1 John, from the beginning. That's the expression he uses nine times. So in contrast to those false teachers that he's trying to teach us to avoid, he wanted us to know that what he wrote had been obtained from the only credible source, from the beginning, from Christ, from God, from the working of the Holy Spirit. And anything anyone has ever known about true love has come from God. As we said, it's not from us. And there's never been a better time for the human heart to understand that true love comes from God because there's so many counterfeits in the world today. And the verse here in uh, verse 11, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Love is more than an option for the believer. It's his duty and obligation. Now listen very carefully, very carefully, please. Anything less than our loving one another is sin. It's God's word. This is the message that we've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. I've been made aware of folks that I love who don't necessarily love each other. They don't reciprocate with love for one another. And it's sad. It's sad because they're involved in sin, and yet they think it's just a spat or a difference of opinion. But no, it's it's sin. We're supposed to have a new disposition, and when I'm surly and somewhat abrupt, that new disposition that I should have received when I came to faith in Christ is being injured by me if I'm that way. And so, the person who's been hateful and unkind, been unloving, should be changed because the new creation that he has been made is reborn to love. So, no longer should it be difficult for the Christian to overlook petty unkindness, thoughtless deceit, unjust criticism, or even spiteful retaliation, because the love of Christ within is abundantly sufficient to overcome the hatred that surrounds us. Could you begin to measure the depths of God's love toward us? Can you do that? What would be the limitations of God's love? From here to the stars and back, throughout infinity in the universe, 
God's love is even greater than that. John fifteen twelve tells us that this is my commandment, and this is Christ speaking, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, if every Christian was to do that, what would happen? One thing is certain, we would never anymore hear of divisions or splits in Bible-believing churches. In all sincerity, in all godliness, we would practice the truth of Psalm 133.1, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Thank you for joining us today for this edition of the Bible Class with Dr. Kenneth C. Hill. You may reach us by email by going to our website, whcbradio.org, and sending us an email on the Contact Us link. That's whcbradio.org. If you prefer to use the Postal Service, our address is The Bible Class, WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Blountville, Tennessee, 37617. That's The Bible Class, care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bumpville, Tennessee, 37617. You may also call us at 423-878-6279. Until our next Bible class program, we are trusting that the Lord will richly bless you as you serve Him.